Good morning, Southwinds family and guests. I want to welcome you wherever you're watching this all across our country, maybe even beyond. We started a new teaching series today called Regather, and it's all about living as God's people in a new normal. Over three months into this season, we find ourselves living in a place we've never been before. It's a season of pandemic where we don't know how long it will last and how many people will be impacted. It's a season of societal unrest and conflict that seems unresolvable, and we're wondering what our nation will look like next month, next year. It's our new normal. And in this season, we are called to be the church, God's people. And how does God call us to live, both as individuals and as a family of faith? Well, whatever happens, we live by faith in God's sovereign control. Listen to the word of God. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115, 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, even when the world seems out of control, we trust that God's in control. So what are we looking at in terms of beginning to regather as a faith family? Before we begin our study of God's word today, let me briefly share with you our current plans. And I give you these plans with God's control in mind, with recognition that God may disrupt our plans as Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. A few weeks ago, we surveyed the Southwinds family and heard from almost 1,000 of you. 736 of you said you'd be ready to begin regathering by July 19. And we have set July 19 as our first day to reopen our campus. Current mandates from the state allow churches to meet at 25% of capacity or 100 total people, whichever is lower. And that means that we can currently have 100 people here in our main auditorium, 100 people in the refinery or the sprung where we used to meet and where our student ministry is now meeting, and 75 people in the shed where our kids' space currently meets. So utilizing these three venues, we'll begin with three services starting at 8 a.m. and possibly adding a fourth service on Sunday evening. We'll be firming up plans with you each week as we get closer to July 19. So that we can prepare for you each week, we'll have a simple registration process online where each person or family will reserve tickets ahead of time to whichever service or venue they choose. And in all this, we will continue to provide online services. So those who are not ready or able to join us on campus can still worship with us virtually. As we begin this process of regathering, all our services will be family style. We will welcome children to worship with their parents and will not worry about any distractions. We do understand that some parents may decide they need to continue to do family worship at home online. And as soon as it's safe, we will begin having kids space once more. We're making plans for live music at each venue, followed by the message which will be streamed from our main auditorium. And you'll see that services will be shorter than usual in this season. In all of our venues, masks will be required as we reopen. 
Our seating will implement social distancing. We will minimize touching of surfaces wherever we can and sanitize as often as we can. And then before and after each service, we will completely sanitize each venue. Now, there are more details to share, and we'll be getting these to you as we get closer to July 19. I want you to look for a second church-wide survey in your email this week. We want to update the information we received from you a few weeks ago to find out if your perspectives have changed as we continue to move through this season. If you didn't receive a survey earlier, please email info at southwinds.org so we can add you to our list. Now, I need to point out something very important. Additional service times and venues will call for additional volunteers. In other words, we need you to join us in serving. So if you're willing to serve or you have questions about it, please email our executive pastor, Jay Mills. I know that this is a lot of information to process. As your pastor, I want to encourage us all to show patience as we navigate these days together. We recognize that our church family encompasses a wide variety of opinions about when and how we should regather. We all have different circumstances that that lead to many different perspectives. Some of us want to regather right now and are comfortable with minimal precautions. Some of us are not ready to regather and won't be for some time. This is a time for grace and patience. And let's not forget that this is a season and that this season will not last forever. During this season, let's stay united and let's stay on mission. God has called us to love our neighbors and share his good news. And I believe that God has some amazing things in store for us at Southwinds. And that's because, that's because we are founded on this rock. If you haven't already, please get your Bibles open to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. You know, for years now, we have believed at Southwinds that God is always at work building his church, that that God is always up to something in and through his people. And we believe that God wants to build something special here in this season of a new normal. Let's read God's word together. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now here's what this Regather series is about. As we step each day into the future, this this new normal, we need to be clear on who we are as a church. And this morning, I want to begin a conversation. It's a conversation about who we are at Southwinds, about what God is calling us to be as a church, and about how God will take us there. And I want to root our conversation in a conversation that comes toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Matthew 16, Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And this is a hugely pivotal moment in the lives of Jesus' disciples. But they don't know that yet. There's something going on in this account that we've read that we often miss. But it would have been very striking to a first century reader. And it's the location of this conversation In verse 16, Matthew tells us that Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Take a look at this map. You will notice Jerusalem down near the bottom, not too far from the Dead Sea. And moving up, following the Jordan River, you'll see Galilee. Jesus was from the area of Galilee, and there's Nazareth and Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did so much of his ministry. But notice Caesarea Philippi, all the way north, near the top of the map. Jesus takes his disciples to the town of Caesarea Philippi. And I want to unpack this because something mind-blowing is about to take place. This is 26 miles away from Galilee. It's a long walk. There are no Jewish settlements up here. And not just that, this is a remarkably pagan place. Caesarea Philippi is located at the foot of Mount Hermon, and it's a beautiful mountain over 9,000 feet high. And at the base of this mountain, there is a spring. And in Jesus' day, the spring's water flowed from that cave. 150 years ago, an earthquake changed the spring's flow. But back then, water gushed out of that cave from underground. And it was one of the main sources of the Jordan River. And in a desert area, that, that gift of water and life and growth made it a place of great beauty. And it became a place of all kinds of pagan worship. In earlier centuries, Baal was worshipped here because he was a fertility god and they thought he brought water and he was also considered to be the god of the underworld. And people then believed that this spring, because it came up from underground in such a mysterious way, it was the place they thought where the spirits of the underworld were able to enter our world. And so they called this spring the cave where the water came gushing out, the cave, the place where Baal was thought to come out, the gates of Hades. Ray Vanderlaan is a scholar who writes about this, and I want you to keep this in mind. It's, It's Caesarea Philippi. This place is the gate of Hades. 
By Jesus' day, Baal wasn't worshipped much anymore, but there was another god who was worshipped primarily at Caesarea Philippi. He was the god Pan. Anybody remember the Greek god Pan? Half goat, half god. Goat feet, goat legs, goat horns. Kind of a nasty character. As a general rule, goats are not seen as creatures of high moral character. Pan was thought to be the god of fertility, and so they would keep goats in this area. Now, the worship of Pan involved sexual practices that were unspeakably offensive to any even nominally devout Israelite. Pan was also thought to be the God who would inspire confusion, chaos, disorder in his enemies. He he was a useful God if you had enemies. And the Greeks actually had a word for this. They called this spirit of disorder and chaos panic. The word panic comes from the God Pan. Or how about pandemonium, all the daimon, the spirits of chaos or disorder, they come from the god Pan. These days, we'd also think also of pandemic. It's all the god Pan. And this is where Jesus brings his disciples. Now, no rabbi would bring their disciples there. One scholar says there actually was an ancient rabbinic saying that said, when Messiah comes, the gates of Caesarea Philippi will collapse. It was such a depraved place. And it wasn't just Pan. Caesarea Philippi was named for Caesar, and a big temple was built by Philip to Caesar, so emperor worship was going on there as well. Then if you look at this picture of of this rock, to this day, you can see uh, niches, holes in the rock where, where statues to Pan and other gods were placed. And there are still inscriptions there. They are, they are still worshipped there. Ray Vanderlaan says, this could be called the rock of the gods. Now hang on to that phrase, the rock of the gods. So the disciples, well, they're wondering what in the world Jesus is doing, taking them 26 miles north out of their way to Caesarea Philippi. Now, nothing else happens here, by the way. There are no multitudes. There are no crowds gathered for teaching or for healings. Just this one conversation between Jesus and his disciples in this strange place that is such a long, long way out of their way. What's going on? Well, it seems that Jesus, the master teacher, wanted to make a point that would be unforgettable. And he says to his disciples, who do people say I am? And they respond, well, some say this and some say that. And then Jesus asks the question that everyone will be asked one day, including you. It's a really good question to give thought to. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter, he speaks. Peter says, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Think about this. There at the rock of the gods, there where all these dead gods and wannabe gods supposedly existed, there Peter proclaims, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, and now it starts to get interesting, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Many of you know that what Jesus means when he says this rock has been highly controversial through the centuries. The Catholic Church understands it to refer to Peter as the first in the line of the papacy. 
In our tradition, the Protestant tradition, it's generally understood to be the faith that Peter has in Jesus. That's the rock. That's the foundation. Now, rabbis often would teach with many layers to their words. And the rock, of course, is a great image. In the Old Testament, the psalmist says, God, you are my rock and my salvation. And later, Paul's going to call Jesus the living rock. So there there are layers to this image of rock. I think there's one more. Remember, Jesus has taken them to Caesarea Philippi where they can look at this rock of the gods. And here's another picture of that. And I think that part of what Jesus is saying is on this rock right here, on this rock that seems so pagan, this rock that's just covered over with so much spiritual confusion and sexual anarchy where where money and power and pleasure is worshiped today, on this rock, I will build my church. It's a really bold statement that Jesus gives because this is just Jesus, just one carpenter, and he has just 12 disciples, this ragtag group. There's no money there. There's no resources there, and they are in this God-forsaken place, and that's where Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then the next line Some of you know it this way. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades is literally what it says. The gates of hell, they will not prevail against my church. Such a powerful declaration here. But a lot of times people get this image wrong. When they think about the gates, they think of the church like it's locked up behind the gates and we just have to huddle together and we, we, we build our own little goofy subculture with our own little institutions and our own little activities and all the while the forces of darkness or secularism or whatever are pounding on our walls. That's not the image Jesus uses. The image he's using here is look around, friends, These are all these people, and they are all enslaved by ignorance and fear and confusion, by sin. All these people living their lives in a sense of panic. And Jesus says to his disciples, I have no intention of standing passively by while this happens to people I love. I'm going after them. I am taking down the gates of hell. I have the keys. I got them from my dad. Now, who wants to go with me? What's Jesus' plan? How will he do this? Not with an army, not by force, not by political legislation. No one in the history of the world ever had a thought like the one Jesus is trying to unpack for this little group right here. Look at verse 21 again. It says, from that time on. And again, this same conversation at Caesarea Philippi. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus says, I'm going to break down the gates of hell by descending into hell, and he did. He said, I'm going to defeat the power of hatred By enduring more in my love than hatred can ever dole out, I will defeat death by dying on a cross and then rising from the dead. Unbelievable story. I mean, there, at the rock of the gods, at the gates of hell, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's move this to 2020. 
And let's talk about us. Why does Jesus have us here? Put this story into our terms, our context. Jesus takes his disciples to the city with a reputation as the most pagan, secular, skeptical, sexually avant-garde, spiritually untethered city in the country. Well, think about it. We live in a region that orbits around a city just like that. And it's not just the city. It's in all our cities, Tracy, Mountain House, Lathrop, all of them. And it's always been true like this for the church because everywhere the church is brought is brought to Caesarea Philippi, to the gates of Hades. You see, the gates of Hades ultimately are wherever sin runs rampant, where children get neglected or abused, where sexual activity outside of marriage becomes standard operating procedure, where greed gets glorified and applauded, where anger is unleashed unrighteously, where racism denigrates the people God created, wherever sin gets excused, wherever self-righteous judgmentalism carries the day, wherever God's word is unknown, wherever God's truth is unheeded, wherever God's love is unexpressed, there are the gates of hell. And Jesus says, we're not hiding from the gates of hell We're not afraid of the gates of hell. We're confronting the gates of hell. And we don't do it in arrogance like we have all the answers. We do it in humility, with love that gets fully expressed on a cross. Jesus goes on to say, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. You have to deny yourself. So here's my question, Southwinds. Anyone out there right now, anyone here listening who wants to join Jesus in building a church like that, even in this new normal? You see, our vision, the reason we exist, is to see people far from God, people who don't know God yet, come to know him through the death and life of his son Jesus, and then to grow into fully devoted followers of Christ. This is the kind of church Jesus wants to build here a a church madly in love with Jesus, a church with a broken heart for people far from God, a church willing to confront the great gates of hell. I want to give you three truth foundations for building Jesus' church. These are markers I want you to keep in mind whenever you read this passage. Here's the first one. This passage reminds us that it's all about Jesus. It always is. In Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16, we see Peter's magnificent confession. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, if we are going to build the kind of church Jesus wants to build, it will always be a church focused on, centered on Jesus So I just want to ask you, when you think about Southman's and what goes on here, and when you think about your life, what matters most to you in regards to your church experience, what is it that matters the most? Is it something to do with music? Is it about the right message topics or messages that help you with your life and your problems? Is it programs for your kids or, or is there more? You know, right now, we want to regather. We want to be together again, and we're planning for that to happen soon. But we may need, some of us especially, to be reminded that when we regather, it won't be just like it was before. I just want to tell you ahead of time, 
We're all going to miss some things we enjoy when we regather. We're all going to be giving up some things. But that shouldn't matter as long as Jesus is glorified and exalted. As long as it's all about Jesus. And maybe that's what God wants to teach you during this season. Maybe your life has moved away from this all-important truth. Life is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. Life is about him. Life is about proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Is your life about Jesus? That would be a very important question to ask yourself before you try to live another day in this new normal. There's a great statement in Acts 13, 36. Here's what it says. For when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. Now, generation means all the people who were alive when David was alive, young and old. David served God's purpose in his generation. And we want to do that in our generation. That means we want to reach everyone, young and old, in our sphere because everyone needs Jesus. Some of you are old. There's a generation of people who need God that may be facing the questions people face at the end of their lives. Jesus wants to reach that generation. Some of you are young. There's a generation of younger people who need Jesus so much but may have been turned off by the church. Jesus wants that generation. Some of you, you're not sure if you're young or old. That means you're old. Jesus wants to build a church that's all about him because that's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's where the purpose and meaning and satisfaction is. It's all about Jesus. And then second, Jesus promises that his church will overcome. Look at this next verse. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. As we think about why we are here as a church, this is so fundamental. Jesus said, I will build my church. So whose church are we? The answer is we are Jesus' church. Jesus thought of the church. Jesus started the church. Jesus picked the church. Jesus taught the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus was resurrected for the church. Jesus sent his spirit to guide the church. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven, interceding for the church. So if anyone could use a little good news today, one day, one day, Jesus is coming back for his church. It's his church. And that's why his church will overcome. We may be discouraged at times, wondering if we can make it. This this season may be unlike anything we've ever personally faced, but Jesus promises that his church will overcome. You know, we may face challenges as a church that make us wonder, how will we ever deeply penetrate the culture and the life of these cities that we live in? But Jesus says to us, and he's saying it to us today, I will build my church and my church will overcome. And then third, building Jesus' church always requires death. Look at this passage, verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Thought I'd end today with this cheerful, encouraging thought. Can't wait to see you again. You must die. See, at the core, the essence of following Jesus means that every one of us must die. We cannot live eternally unless we die. We have to die to our sin and live to Jesus, his will, his agenda, his plans. Building Jesus' church always calls each of us to die. And so I want to ask you today, there where you sit listening to me share this word with you, what do you need to die to in your life so that Jesus can build his church through you? Some of us, we have sin in our lives we need to put to death. So Jesus can build his church in and through us. There are habits that hold us back. Some of us need to repair relationships, to repent of things we've done or said to others. Maybe in this church, and maybe right now your pride is holding you back. Maybe you want to blame them. I want to ask you, will you die so that Jesus may bring life into your life, may bring life through you to others? Some of us need to die to selfish agendas. We see Jesus' church as an afterthought, something we get to when we take care of what we really want to do. We give Jesus and his church our time after we've done what we want to do with our time. We give Jesus our talents and service after we service our own needs. We give Jesus our treasure, our money, and it's all really his after we've spent on what we want. What do you need to die to right now so that Jesus can build his church, so Jesus can receive the glory he deserves? Let me real quickly make a a specific application to our regathering. Here's the reality, friends. If only 100 of us can be in this auditorium at one time, that means that many of us must be willing to regather in the refinery or in the shed. And I know that we'd all like to be together in this room. But unless some of us give up our preferences, we won't be able to make this work. My simple proposal today is this. It's something we were supposed to learn as kids. Let's just take turns. Just decide today that you'll attend worship some weeks here and some weeks in one of our other venues. We'll all share together. And as we die to self, making sacrifices together, whatever those may be, we'll see God work and God will be glorified and people will be loved. In the weeks ahead, as we move toward regathering, we'll continue to explore various parts of of what it means to be the church, God's people, to, to live as God's people in this new normal. What will it mean for us to obey the great commandment and fulfill the great commission here at Southwinds in 2020 and beyond? What would it look like if when we regather, Southwind's church began in a way we've never had before to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind. What would it look like if all of us, we we really got out of our seats and went out onto the streets of our neighborhoods where we were busy telling others that we serve a beautiful, glorious, awesome, loving, merciful, forgiving, and gracious God. Sometimes doing that through sharing the gospel, sometimes through doing acts of kindness, through Southwind Serves. You know, God 
He has done so many amazing things in and through our church family. But I tell you what I am dreaming. I am dreaming. I am dreaming that as we regather, more people come to know Jesus than ever have before through this church that Jesus is building. I am dreaming that more children and more students are learning that Jesus loves them and has an incredible plan for their lives. I am dreaming that marriages that are crumbling, even now, right now, that stand on the cliff edge of divorce will be restored. What if, friends, what if one day in Tracy Mountain House and Lathrop, you would hear families saying, you know, there is just no better resource to help a marriage get put back together to help parents raise great kids than what's going on at Southwinds Church. Some of you have been coming for a while, and you're, you're kind of in the, the permanent visitor category. I'm dreaming that when we regather, you would take the next step to get truly connected to God's family here, that you would commit your life here and allow God to use you. I'm dreaming that we would be a place where people can come and find peace. Peace from enslaving addictions. Peace from guilt and shame. Peace from crushing anxiety. There are so many people all around us today that are lonely. They live in isolation. What if all of us would help each of them find a place in a life group? What if one day you would hear people saying, you know, the best place in Tracy Mountain House in Lathrop to find a friend, to experience real relationships, is Southwind's church. So many of us, we, we are feeling like failures right now. Our lives have been turned upside down. Circumstances have, have just twisted everything around. We're finding ourselves struggling, and, and, and maybe we don't recognize it, but part of that often is that we live in this culture of performance that just puts unbelievable pressure on us. There is this need to perform vocationally and, and financially, this need to, to put up a good image. Do you ever feel the pressure to perform? See, some of you, I know this is true, some of you live with a pressure that is killing your soul. You know, your soul is that deepest and most mysterious part of you. That soul, the soul is the only part of the person in the Bible that gets addressed because there's something so deep about it. The psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And people's souls are dying all around us because we just live in this time and place where there's this unbelievable pressure to perform. Sometimes dying souls leak out in addictions, which are rampant. And I am so grateful for our Celebrate Recovery ministry and for our care groups. And I can't wait for us to get Fridays and Wednesdays going again. This season has and will continue to stress marriages. And we want to continue to be a place of healing for couples and families. We need people to lead groups for couples. And we will one day soon need new volunteers and kids space. And you know, all of that means that we as God's people must live our lives on this rock. We must all make our lives all about Jesus. Trusting that whatever we face as individuals and as a church family, Jesus will overcome. And we must all be willing to die to ourselves, to make whatever sacrifices Jesus calls us to make. One more thing I'm dreaming about. I'm dreaming that God can use us 
here at Southwinds to transform our community outside the doors, the walls of our church campus in a way we've never seen before. And I am so excited about our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative and all that God has already done through your generosity. You know, for months now, you've been hearing me say, good deeds lead to goodwill, which opens doors for the good news. And we started serving our communities, painting city benches, paying off school lunch debts, and much more. We started that before the pandemic hit. And through this pandemic, we've continued to serve, making masks, 2,000 of them so far, delivering food, helping with utility bills, donating blood, and on and on, so much more, all during the pandemic. And we will continue to love and serve and reach out because Jesus says, I will build my church. Will you join us? Will you be part of what Jesus is doing? You don't have to wait for July 19. You can ask God to use you today, right where you are. And then as we regather in just a few weeks, let's be the church. Let's be God's people. Let's live for Jesus. Let's love our neighbors. Friends, this is our Caesarea Philippi. And we follow the one who says, on this rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He invites each of us to join him. Here's the opportunity. Here is the decision. Love God. Love our neighbors. And let's do it together, Southwinds. We may not know exactly what it's going to look like in this new season. It may look different than anything we've ever experienced before. But let's commit together. We're not going to hold back. We will step forward in faith. We will love and serve and share. Because on this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And I'm confident that if we will do that, the future is bright. And it's not because of us. It is because we are following the one who is building his church on the gates of hell. Will you bow your heads as we pray together? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for what Jesus is doing in this world, even now in this confusing time. We thank you that Jesus is king, not the coronavirus. And we know, Father, that through Jesus, it really is possible for us to live with confidence and contentment and joy each day. And Lord, we hunger for that in our lives. God, we pray for this world that needs you so much, for the, the people, Lord, we all know and love who are far away from God, far away from you, our friends and, and coworkers, maybe parents, maybe spouses, maybe sons and daughters. Father, we pray for our church. Lord, we ask, give our leaders wisdom and give everyone in our Southwinds family all that we need to follow you and serve you. Lord, I wanna pray specifically right now for everyone suffering one way or another from what comes out of the gates of hell. Lord, would you help us to love those around us? And God, would you help us most of all, to love you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. And everyone, wherever you are, 
Would you just say it out loud right now? Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us. Friends, I love you. (laughs) Can't wait to see you again. It's going to be soon. And I'm praying you have a blessed week. We'll see you again next Sunday.